0: Welcome, and thanks again for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church and Pastor Josh LaGrange. This week, we finish up through the book of Genesis, chapters 22 through 50. We take a look at the events surrounding the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. You can join us in the book of Genesis as Pastor Josh LaGrange delivers his sermon titled God's Blessing to and Through a Special People. trying to cover chapters 22 through 50 today. Uh, so we're just going to read one verse to get started. Uh, chapter 32, verse 28. We have been uh, looking through a series. What we're doing is an, uh, an overview series of the Old Testament in six months. We are three months in, believe it or not, and still in Genesis. So we're got to pick up speed, and today begins that. But it's been necessary because these... Really heavy theological foundation stones are laid um, in the early parts of Genesis. So we intentionally went slower there. Today we begin to pick up speed in the storyline and look at these things. So Genesis 32, let's read verse 28 and then I need to pray. Um, So Genesis 32, 28. This is God speaking to Jacob. He said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Please bow with me and let's ask for God's help. Our Father in heaven, God, it's just a normal Sunday. And Lord, we can kind of forget that you intend to do miraculous things. God, even in this very room, there is a battle being fought. Lord, there is a war taking place right now over what we will do with the word. Lord, your sons and your daughters who have repented of their sins turn to Christ to be saved. They are yours, God. Today, we need fed. God, I'm begging that you'll do that. God, I'm begging that everything that needs to happen, every grace, every help, every protection that needs to happen so that we are fed with your word strengthened, refreshed, and enabled to go back out and live in this world. God, we're begging that you supply that. And God, every soul in here that is not yet in covenant with you has still been resisting you, has not yet turned to honor Jesus Christ, to seek salvation. God, I, I'm begging that today would be the day that their their eternity is just turned upside down and they are brought to you. Give them eyes to see ears to hear, oh God. Father, we beg that someone comes to faith, Lord, in this time as we look at your word. Uh, Father, um, every grace that I need, please make me useful. Captivate our attention, oh God, on your word and bless us. Please, O oh Lord, for the glory of your name, cause this to be a sweet time, an insightful time, Lord, of seeking your truth. So please help us. We pray this through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, In our house, we've been uh, reading through the Jesus Storybook Bible um, to our younger two. Um, So I've got um, 45 children in my house. At least it seems that way sometimes. Um, And we've got this wide range. And so the older ones need something and the younger ones need something. I have an almost uh, teenager. Uh, Sorry, just about puked in my mouth there. I have an almost teenager and then all the way down to 2 years old and so you know what what they all need is is different and so with the younger ones we've been kind of cycling through the Jesus Storybook Bible again and and uh, as as parents especially if children sort of like under the 8 range I highly recommend that resource to you and your in your instruction of the scriptures in your home and what it does is a really good job of showing how the entirety of the Bible centers in Jesus Christ. Everything that God has done from Genesis 1-1 is a neon sign pointing to Christ. And so it'll do something like this. It'll tell the story of Abraham being commanded to go sacrifice Isaac. And it'll walk through that story in a way to tell it to children. And then at the end, it'll say something like this. Many years later, another special son would climb that mountain and he too would carry wood on his back. And there on the mountain, the Lord would provide a sacrifice. But this sacrifice would be for the sins of all who would turn to him. So I would read that and I'd look at our six-year-old and I'd say, and who is that special son? Well, in the beginning, she started just giving me this confused look like, I don't know, dad, that's a really complicated question. Help me out here. And so I would say, but Jesus is the special son. And then talk through how Jesus went to the Hill of Golgotha and these sorts of things. And after a few days of doing that, um, she still would look at me a confused look. And so one day I said, um, let me give you a hint. Every time I ask that, the answer is always going to be Jesus. Okay? And so then we, we read one. And so then we looked at maybe that uh, account of Joseph or of Moses. Many years later, God would send another prophet like Moses. And so now whenever we get to that part, she begins to start saying that phrase. The answer is always Jesus. As we've been studying through the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, we've been seeing that the book of Genesis is more than the account of the beginning of creation. It's more than the beginning of mankind, more than the beginning of marriage, more than the beginning of sin. We've been seeing God showing us the beginning of his plan of redemption. If you are going to grow to be, to be a strong follower of Jesus Christ... It is, it is going to be necessary. You are going to have to immerse your life in the scriptures. The study, the thinking of God's word is going to have to become a focus of your life. And to understand the Bible, that's going to involve knowing various parts of the Bible, knowing how the Old Testament and the New Testament are distinct. It's going to involve understanding that the Bible has different genres like history and poetry and prophetic books and things like this, but one of the most critical and helpful revelations that is going to help you understand the Bible is how the whole thing fits together as a storyline. The Bible is just absolutely magnificent in the fact that like it has amazing stories in the history, amazing poetry, amazing uh, prophetic books and all these things, but it's all tied together. I mean, it's crazy that even the poetry shows the unfolding of this plan of redemption that God began before the foundation of the world and then the book of Genesis has been showing us the beginnings of. God bringing about a plan of redemption through his son and a son who would be brought into the world through a specific family and in a specific kind of context. And so we've been following this one particular family One family out of all the earth who are not godlier than everybody else. Not at the beginning. God does a work of transforming. It's a people who were not chosen because they were mightier, smarter, prettier. But God came to them and God in mercy drew them. And God in mercy chose to do something special to this people in this people And then something special through this people to be a blessing to the ends of the earth. Well, this morning, if we're going to make it through this series in six months, we have got to pick up steam today. We've laid the primary foundations. And let me just tell you, um, if you're a visitor and you've not been with us uh, over this last uh, section, I certainly hope you will benefit today. I'm pretty confident you will see truths and things. But you'll benefit Many, many times more, if you'll go back to the early chapters of Genesis, read, study, meditate, maybe go back and listen to some of the previous sermons and things that are there and and get some of these theological foundations laid, the rest of the Bible is going to make a lot more sense to you if these early uh, stones are laid in your mind and in your understanding. And so we are now moving through, and it is our attempt today uh, to take, take us through the storyline of the rest of the book of Genesis. And so if you like outline structures, it's going to go something like this. There are some names you're going to need to memorize, okay? Some things about the Bible you got you to have memorized. Here are some names you're going to need to have memorized to understand the book of Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and 12 sons. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and 12 sons. The rest of the book of Genesis can sort of follow in that outline. There's a section on Abraham. We mostly looked at that last Sunday. Isaac will come on to the scene. We don't actually have that much about Isaac. There's a pretty large portion on what we call the Jacob cycle, and then a significant section uh, of the book, actually chapters 37 to 50, Follow the storyline of Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, one of those 12 sons. So that'll be kind of how we go. We're mostly going to approach this in story form, walking through. Occasionally, we're going to try and stop and maybe point out some of the, the highlighted moments in here. So we left off last week with Abraham and Sarah being promised a son. Abraham believed God. He was counted as righteous, but still the child had not come. Before that child came, Sarah decided that the problem must be her. And she proposed a solution to Abraham at this time. Remember, God had come to them at 75 and 65 and long seasons of time pass and still no son. Sarah begins to think to herself, I guess the problem is me. The promise said that from Abraham's body, she's putting some things together. And then in a moment, in a move that I can only chalk up to temporary insanity, she suggests something to Abraham. She suggests, Abraham, I think you ought to take another wife. Now, not leave Sarah, but take a wife in addition to Sarah. We learned that this was a pretty common thing in the ancient world. But if you remember, God has not called his people to be common. The very meaning of holiness The very meaning of God telling his people and calling us to blamelessness is to be distinct from the world other than the world, uncommon. But Abraham sadly, unfortunately, agrees and ends up marrying a woman named Hagar and together they have a son. And one of the things that's crazy is in everybody's minds, they all consider the promises fulfilled. A son has been born to Abraham, it seems uncanny that he in his old age would be able to father a son and it happens. And so in Abraham's mind, in Sarah's mind, in Hagar's mind, the promises of God have been fulfilled. And they continue on in this for 13 years. For 13 years, they believe that God's promise has been fulfilled until the day when, if you remember, we we looked at Genesis 17 last week. In Genesis 17, when God gave the covenant of circumcision, God communicated to Abraham, I didn't need your help. I had it under control. And I am going to give you a son through Sarah. For 13 years, Abraham has looked at this son named Ishmael, believing He will carry on the covenant promises. He is the fulfillment of the promises of God. And now God tells him, Ishmael is not my plan. There's another son I'm going to give you. There's actually kind of a funny moment. Uh, Abraham is so overwhelmed, he falls on the ground and laughs. When Sarah finds out, at the age of 89, by the way, she laughs. But the God who spoke the cosmos into existence and fashioned the womb, has no difficulty opening that womb. And in grace, when the time was just right, after a long season of waiting, Abraham and Sarah welcome a little baby boy into the world, and they laugh. They laugh in joy, and they laugh in bewilderment. And so God, in his humor, instructed them that they were to name the baby Isaac, which, of course, you Hebrew scholars know means Laughter, this is, this is kind of hilarious. You do got to see like some of the, the humor that God puts in the storyline of the Bible here. This would be like some of you parents um, naming your child laughter. Mere laughter. Eat your supper, laughter. Stay away from the camels, laughter. Isaac grows up and they see this and they're living in this sort of uh, wonder and bewilderment that is here. God gives Abraham unusually long life. But the day comes when Sarah, Isaac's mother, passes from the earth. When Sarah died, her family did not own even a square foot of the land of Canaan. Abraham has to go buy a cave just to bury his dead wife. He owns nothing in the land. He lives in a tent. He drifts as a nomad. He has no home. He has to buy a plot of ground simply to bury his wife. Hang on to that. Isaac eventually grows up and marries a woman named Rebekah. There's kind of a beautiful story there of uncanny providence that God brings about in in Genesis 24 there. Isaac and Rebekah actually have an arranged marriage. They never met each other until the day that they wed. Um, That doesn't happen a lot in the Bible, but it does happen occasionally. And they live out biblical marriage in light of this. But eventually, Abraham himself... Passes away. He dies. Possessing no land in the inheritance. Other than his cave to be buried in. God promised to give Abraham and his descendants the land of Canaan. And Abraham dies. Owning nothing more than a burial plot. Uh, If you were in Sunday school this morning. You see that the book of Hebrews. In the New Testament picks up this truth and preaches that Abraham was looking for an inheritance bigger than just earthly land. Abraham, in a sense, understood the greater purposes, the resurrection to come. And he was looking for the city whose uh, architect and builder is God. That's the way that Hebrews words it. He was a sojourner, a pilgrim, an exile on the earth because his true home was in the kingdom of heaven. And listen to me, every one of you who are in Jesus Christ, whenever you respond to the gospel, Whenever you come to faith in Jesus Christ, your hope and your identity is is no different. We learned last week how it is that we become sons and daughters of Abraham. It is by turning from your sins. It is recognizing that you are not right with God. You are in rebellion to God. Your heart is hostile to God. It is turning from that and looking to Christ. Looking to Christ in faith and praying to be saved. God brings you to himself. When that happens, friends, there are dozens of things that in the snap of the fingers all transform in your life. And one of those things that happens is your citizenship is transferred. You move from being a citizen of this earth to the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And friends, our identity changes as well. We move from the identity of someone who is at home on the earth to someone who is a stranger on the earth. Someone who sees himself as a nomad, as an exile because we have a home that is not here. Abraham passes from this life and into the next, but we see him again. In the New Testament, we see Abraham there in heaven awaiting the day of resurrection. Isaac and Rebekah, also spend a large portion of their life unable to bear children. There's, there's a point that's made, an intentional point, that's made several times throughout the book of Genesis. If you remember in chapter 315, God promised that a seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent, redeem the world from its curse. Abraham's promise depends on nations coming forth from him, and this promise continues. But then again and again, there's this obstacle of infertility. Difficulty in conceiving and such, and Abraham, Isaac and Rebecca were faced with the test of whether or not they would trust God, whether or not they would believe the promises of God, and what little we are shown about Isaac does tell us that he prayed to the Lord that Rebecca would conceive, and we do see that the Lord answers this. Rebecca does finally get pregnant after a, a long, long t- decades. Of thinking that this, of wondering whether this would happen. But when Rebecca gets pregnant, she begins to feel that something's wrong inside. She feels like there's a battle being fought inside of her, and it's actually so traumatic that she prays and she asks God, What's going on? Jump to chapter 25, if you will, Genesis 25. Genesis 25, beginning in verse 22. Read through a section here. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment. And they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. A couple interesting things to notice there as we walk through this. Again, we have this multiple nations thing happening. Remember, Abraham had been told, I will make you the father of... Of a multitude of nations, there's a way that that was was, uh, fulfilled even earthly speaking. Multiple earthly nations came forth from him, but the greater is the spiritual, the nations coming to faith in Christ. So, But we have a literal way this is taking place? The people who would eventually come from Esau would be a people known as the Edomites that you encounter numerous times throughout the Old Testament. But you also notice there the day that the babies were born. Esau comes out, it even seems kind of humorous, a red hairy baby. Hey, all are precious in his sight. Uh, but then Jacob comes out and something, something uncanny, strange happens with him. He is grasping on to his brother's heel. Um, if you have not yet had children yet, let me just tell you, that's not what you want to see when you're having twins. This is something seems wrong here. Why and why are we told this detail? Again and again throughout the scriptures, we see this. Our God is sovereignly and mysteriously orchestrating events show as to, so as to display his glory. And at times, even just to show, I think moments like this are just God showing, I've got this. I am in charge of every event to the smallest of details. Esau gets named um, after his look the red hair over his body. The word Esau, Esau is close to the name for red in Hebrew. And Jacob is named Jacob because it sounds like the Hebrew word for heel, like the heel on your foot. And apparently this was a Hebrew figure of speech that someone would be called this if they were someone who deceived Other people. So, sort of in the sense like you trip them, you grab their foot and trip them up. A tripper, a trickster, a deceiver. Hang on to that. We're going to see the rest of Jacob's life this come up again and again in God's mysterious providence. Well, the two boys grow up. They are very different from each other in every single way. Esau is this burly and bearded hunter manly man who roams the fields and Jacob stays home and cooks with mama but what this means also is that because Esau was the firstborn it meant a couple of things number one he possessed what was known of as the birthright the firstborn of a family had a certain status This is the one who would eventually take the father's place as kind of like chief of the family. And it came with kind of that chief status. There was a a respect and honor, similar to the way that on a little boy's flag football team, they all fight to want to be quarterback. Why? There's There's a status. There's something there. Esau is the firstborn. But it also meant the firstborn would also receive a double inheritance over the rest of the heirs. So by all calculations, this is no just ordinary family. This is the family of covenant. This is a special people. God is passing on covenant promises through sons. So by all human calculations, Esau should be the one who carries on the covenant promises and God fulfills his blessing to the world through him. But the Lord has already said, that the older would serve the younger. And a couple of things happen that bring about this prophecy. And to to just blow your mind for some things to think about as you lay in your bed at night and think about God's uncanny, mysterious providence, God will bring about exactly what he said will happen. And our God is big enough that he can use even the evil of Jacob to accomplish his purposes It is astounding that God is never the doer of evil. And yet every event that takes place, even evil, serves the purposes of God. It is uncanny, his bigness. He is bigger than you have ever considered. But a couple things come about. There came a day that Jacob enticed Esau to sell his birthright. Esau came in from a hunting trip, possibly being gone for several days. He's ferociously hungry, even to the point of fainting. And Jacob had been home cooking up some delicious lentil soup. Esau walks in and says, hey, bro, let me have some of that. And Jacob says, sure, if you give me your birthright. Esau kind of jokingly responds, sure. And Esau's like, no, I'm serious. Give me your birthright. Swear to me. And what's crazy, Esau does. The Bible picks up this point. The Bible picks up this point and makes several principles and truths from it. One of the things that we're told is, thus Esau despised his birthright. And what God meant by that is, the fact that Esau was willing to sow cheaply, sell off what should have been valuable to him shows he did not regard it like he ought to have. So so in other words, to carry on these covenant promises, like it's worth this much. He only saw it as worth this much. And the Bible goes on to teach that this this is exactly the same how before you and I were born again in our unconverted state, we were willing to sell our souls for cheap pleasure. We we were willing to trade being sons and daughters of God, willing to trade our eternal souls for cheap thrills, cheap sex, money, or yeah, even food. The Bible says what you will see in the world if you observe that the appetites of our flesh, they are treated as God's. We, We do regard them sometimes we will indulge desires of the flesh even when it is illogical to do so listen to me we will sometimes indulge desires of the flesh when it will cost us everything in our life but the new birth brings about a change in the way that we see and then the longer we progress in the word of God the more it teaches us to see everything differently Esau made a terrible deal but so do we every time that we sin. And then also, I think this helps us understand things like the Bible tells us that everyone who is not in Christ hates God. I remember reading that early on and going, whoa, whoa. People who don't want to be saved, okay, that's wrong. But do they really hate God? But, but listen to me. If you were to have asked Esau, do you hate your birthright? What would he have responded Well, no, of course not. But the pathetic amount of regard he had for it was a shame. And we show in our unconverted state, whenever we were willing to just trade everything for cheap thrills, we show we do not have regard for God anywhere near the worth that he is due. That shameful amount of love and regard for him, the Bible does say that's a hatred for God. That's a hostility towards God. So Esau is now without his birthright. So that was the first moment of Jacob tripping or tricking his brother. And there was a second one that was actually even a bigger one. Jump to chapter 27 with me. Genesis 27, look at the first four verses with me. Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son. And he said to him, here I am. Isaac said, Behold, now I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat so that my soul may bless you before I die. Esau was about to receive that final blessing, that final double portion of the inheritance. And because this is the covenant family, what's going to happen is Isaac is going to speak a prophetic word from God to pass on the covenant promises. And Isaac tells Esau, I don't know how much longer I have on this earth. Go make me my favorite dish. Go out and hunt game, make my favorite dish and then come in, I'll eat it. And then I will bestow this blessing on you. Well, as he says this, something really dark went down. Rebecca Isaac's wife and the boys' mother, hears this, and Rebekah loved Jacob more than Esau. In fact, Rebekah loved Jacob so idolatrously that she devised a plan to deceive her own husband. See, Isaac had gone nearly blind, and so they devised a plan where they tricked Isaac into thinking that Jacob was Esau. Esau even put on his brother's clothes so that he would smell like him. And Esau, being a hairy man, he even patched on some wool and things on his body so that he would feel like he was hairy, like his brother. And then we see the moment that comes. Uh, You're in chapter 27. Look at verse 27 there. So he came close and kissed him. This is Jacob coming to Isaac. And when he, this is Isaac, smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. If you notice, several parts of that sound just like the blessing that God gave to Abraham. And there will be more. Isaac, even after he finds out, that Jacob has deceived him. And now Isaac got angry, but he also comprehends the will of God in this. He also comprehends that this has come about in the providence of God and he cannot just take it back. He cannot say, "Uh, whoopsies, undo. No, no, no. He has been prompted by God to speak. And even after he finds out, he's prompted by God to speak again. Jump to chapter 28. Look at verse three. So this is Isaac now speaking to Jacob before he's about to leave the land. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants. There's that word again to your seed that you may possess the land of your sojournings, which God gave to Abraham. And then to go even further, God will actually speak and confirm. You're in chapter 28, look at verse 13. We're gonna come back to this passage here in a second. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Now, I want to ask you a question here. We just read all that. How do you feel about that? What do you think about that? Jacob, the trickster, deceiver, he's gotten blessed. He's fought and worked his way, and God speaks blessing on him. Does that make you a little angry? Is there something in you that is saying, that's that's not fair? If it does, let me help you with something. For the first time in your life, you are understanding grace. You are understanding what grace is. You know, we Christians talk about grace all the time. And a lot of times when it comes right down to it, we find out, we don't understand it as well as we think we do. Grace is bigger than just that little Sunday school answer we sometimes give. So sometimes, you know, we'll ask, well, what's grace? Grace is when God gives you better than what you deserve. What's mercy? Mercy is when God doesn't give you the wrath that you do deserve. That all sounds fine until we see it played out. That all sounds fine until you read the account of David when he murdered someone and God forgives him in grace. And then you're feeling like, that's, that's not fair. That's, it doesn't seem right. That's the point of grace. The whole point of grace is God giving us, not giving us what we do deserve, the wrath and choosing to give us kindness that he absolutely does not owe us. And so watch this friends, God's not wronging Esau in any of this. Jacob will answer for the sin that he has committed, but when it comes right down to who God chooses, who God chooses to carry out his purposes, who God chooses to save, listen to me. Jacob is a sinner and Esau is a sinner. Jacob is unworthy and Esau is unworthy. God has the right to choose to show mercy on whom he desires. It's like a boss who's looking to hire someone and 15 people put in their applications and every one of them are unqualified. The boss doesn't have to hire any one of them, but if he chooses to, in his grace, he can extend an opportunity to one of them. He might even choose the worst one of the whole bunch. He has the right to do that. He has the authority. He's wronged no one and he has the right in this. Listen to me, friends. When it comes to who God chooses, God doesn't sift through the whole earth and through his foreknowledge, look into the tunnels of time and feel like, all right, who are the best humans on the planet? I want to pick them to be saved." It's not how this works. God in grace, because of nothing in you or I, comes and shows grace. Listen, listen to me, Christian. If you are in Christ, sovereign grace has been shown to you. Sovereign choice has been exercised, but it is not because you deserved it. It's because God in his mercy has drawn you to himself. One of the things you'll find a lot is people don't like these parts of the Bible. And a lot of times people try to tell God how he's supposed to behave. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And we the people of God are to bow and to rejoice in that But Jacob will learn this as well. Mercy and grace has just been shown to Jacob. Being shown grace by God is amazing. But to be amongst God's people means this. God is going to be relentless in making him holy. You get extended grace by God. Rejoice forever. But also understand this. God is making you into his project. He's going to make you holy. He is going to put you through the fires to burn off impurities. The next 20 years of Jacob's life will be an extension of God's love in discipline. Jacob the trickster is going to be disciplined to where God burns this out of his life. Esau finds out what has happened, that his brother has stolen his inheritance and he comforts himself with the decision when dad dies I'm killing Jacob and I'll get everything back well it's it's a little bit of irony in this rebecca who idolatrously loved jacob now understands she has to send him away so she, she comes and says you you got to get out of here esau's going to kill you and one day we'll send word to you when everything is okay go find yourself a wife And then come back one day, Isaac and Rebekah will never see each other again. Rebekah, who idolatrously loved Jacob, will never see him again. On Jacob's way out of the land of Canaan, Jacob will have a couple of encounters with God. One on the way out of the land, and then one on the way back. The first one on the way out, God gives Jacob a vision. It's strange but it has a meaning. Uh, Jump to chapter 28 with me again. Let's read a section there, verses 10 through 17. 28, beginning in verse 10, then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and he lay down in that place. He had a dream and behold, a ladder, or the Hebrew can also indicate a stairway, was set on the Earth with its top reaching to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on. I want you to remember that language: ascending and descending. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north, to the south and in you and your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Jacob sees this vision of angels of God ascending and descending from heaven to earth, coming and going. And he comes to this conclusion, this land is the meeting place between heaven and earth. He names the place Bethel meaning house of El from Elohim, house of God. And he says, this is the link between heaven and earth. If you remember in God's promises, over and over again, he has promised the land would be a portion of the covenant promises. And now Jacob sees there's something special about this place. There's something special about here. God wants to meet with his people. And at least in this Old Testament season, God was showing that this place was where he would meet with his people. Well, hang on to that. We're going to see all that come back. Well, Jacob goes off and he comes to a place named Padan Aram. He instantly meets the most gorgeous woman of the whole land, a woman named Rachel, and Jacob immediately falls for her. You have one of the great love stories of the Bible unfold here between them, but it is not without its drama. Jacob owns nothing. He has no dowry to give her father. And so not only that, but Rachel is also not the oldest in the family. There was an older daughter named Leah who was not yet married off. And so Jacob asked Laban for something that was not customary and he has no dowry. So he proposes to Laban. He says, I will work for you for seven years for the gift of marrying Rachel. Laban is reluctant. And I'm sure in his mind, he's thinking, well, surely somewhere in the next seven years, someone will want to marry Leah. But he agrees. And then there's a beautiful verse in the Bible that my wife just absolutely swoons over. It's chapter 9, verse 20. Look and see what it says there. Then Jacob made a vow saying, oh, excuse me, where am I? Chapter 29, verse 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. All you ladies can collectively swoon and sigh Seven years of hard labor pass, and the day finally comes when it's time. Jacob can now marry this woman that he loves. But since the day that Jacob has showed up, Laban has never seen prosperity like he's living in now. Laban understands that God is with Jacob in a special kind of way. Laban doesn't want Jacob to leave. He wants him to stay so that he will keep getting rich off of Jacob, and so he devises a plan. The trickster is about to get tricked. In these ancient days, wedding ceremonies were different than our normal customs. We don't know exactly how it went down. It's very possible. Some scholars have surmised that the the bride probably wore a a full-length veil. And in these days, we get some textual indications that from the wedding ceremony, they just went straight to the tent and there consummated the marriage in the dark. Well, Laban caused his oldest daughter, Leah, to stand in the place of Rachel. Jacob makes covenant vows to a woman he believes is his beloved. Jacob takes this woman into the tent to consummate the marriage with the woman he believes is his beloved. But then the next morning he awakes and it is not his beloved. The next morning, Jacob is incensed. You can't help but feel sorry for Leah in the midst of this here. But I will tell you, Leah has her reward. But in God's discipline, do you see a little bit of the irony here? Jacob, the one who had stolen the birthright from his brother, he comes to Laban to be like, why did you do this? What is going on? Laban's response is sort of like, I had to give my firstborn her rights Ooh, that stings. But Laban does propose something to Jacob. I'll let you marry Rachel as well for another seven years of marriage, or she's another seven years of labor. So Jacob finishes out the honeymoon week with Leah. The following week, he marries Rachel as well, but he has sworn another seven years of hard labor for Laban. All in all, Jacob will spend a little over 20 years in this land. He will acquire great wealth through livestock. And between he and his wives, there's more drama that goes on as well that you can read about. Jacob ends up taking two more wives, four in total. All in all, the Lord gives him 12 sons and one daughter. Those 12 sons are who we call the 12 tribes Of Israel. No longer is it just one child carrying on the covenant promises. They are all now the covenant people. They will carry this on. The promises to Abraham are being fulfilled to multiply their seed. So Jacob leaves the land of Padan, Iran comes back to the land of Canaan and as he is entering the land of Canaan, there is some drama that goes on. He's about to enter the land. He's not seen Esau in more than two decades. He has no idea how Esau is going to respond. There is grace in here that we see. God has transformed Esau's heart. Esau actually gets made into a mighty group and in Jacob's fear, of what will happen on the following day, on the night before he's going to see Esau, the Lord does something again where he encounters Jacob. It's strange, but it's beautiful. Jump to chapter 32, if you will. 32, beginning in verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Peniel and he was limping on his thigh. Some have supposed that this is the Lord Jesus taking temporary human form and wrestles with Jacob through the night. It's an odd encounter, isn't it? And kind of at the end, we're going, what's the point? Like, Like, why did God bring this about? Friends, you see very often that God delights to give us really vivid moments to carve truths into our hearts. Jacob, the trickster, has been... Tripped up, Jacob, the one who grabs onto this man who turns out to be God in the flesh, Jacob latches on and says, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. Kind of like you dads when you're playing with your kids and you grab onto your legs and are like, I'm not letting go, daddy. You could win that battle, but you love them and you're gentle with them. Jacob latches on and says, I will not let go until you bless me. We actually learned this honors God. We actually learned that God delights in this to understand our desperate helplessness so deeply that we seek him and say, I'm not quitting until I get blessing from God. God says that delights him and he does bless him and he changes his name from Jacob to Israel, which means strives with El, strives with God. Jacob had literally wrestled with God, but God meant this to be a prophetic name as well. This name is a name that has been fitting for the physical nation of Israel for the last 3,800 years. Israel has wrestled with God, has had a tumultuous relationship with God. And as a physical people never come to full peace with God, often in conflict with God, but God never abandoning them. Well, Israel now has 12 sons and they are back in the land of promise. And if you can remember these names, this is going to help you throughout the, the book, understanding the book of Genesis. We've seen Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, name changed to Israel. Now there are 12 sons that are there. These 12 sons, you will follow their story throughout the rest of the Bible. You will see this encounter that goes on here. But there is one particular son that rises to some prominence because of more that God is going to accomplish. Chapters 37 to 50 Follow the Joseph narrative. Let me cover it in about 60 seconds. Joseph is betrayed by his brothers. He is sold as a slave and he comes to the land of Egypt. There in Egypt, he is accused of a crime and he is thrown into a dungeon. There were things that God wanted to do through Joseph that could only come out of the dungeon. There were things that God wanted to teach Joseph that he could only learn in the pits. Because of where Joseph is, he is given an opportunity to interpret dreams from Pharaoh. The Lord reveals that he's going to send a famine upon the land in seven years. Joseph is then raised to the second in command over all of Egypt. The famine sets in on the land and Joseph's family back in Israel, the land of Canaan, needs food and they travel to Egypt. There in God's providence, there is a reuniting of Joseph and the brothers he betrayed. And then Joseph with Jacob, Israel, who thought that Joseph was dead. There is a happy reunion. And because of the famine, all of the people of Israel moved down to the land of Egypt. Seventy members of this special family moved to Egypt. And the day comes when Jacob, Israel, comes near to die. And he calls his family to him in Genesis 49. If you'll flip over there for a second, we're wrapping up here. Genesis 49, as you walk through Genesis 49, what what happens here is by a prophetic word from God, Jacob speaks a word, some of his blessings, some of it is not so much blessing, but a bit of cursing to every single one of his sons. You notice there in verse 3, he speaks to Reuben, his firstborn. The right of the firstborn is taken away from Reuben because of sin he committed. If you notice and you read through there, when it comes to Joseph, special blessing is spoken on Joseph through all he's been through. I do want to call your attention to just one of them. Find verse 8. A word of blessing is spoken to one of Jacob's sons who was no golden boy. If you want to read more on that, take a look at Genesis 38 sometime this afternoon. Look at verse eight, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion and as a lion who dares rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine and his teeth white from milk. The significance there, Judah will eventually lead to a man named David. David who will become king and David who will have promises made to him that one of your descendants will sit on the throne over not just Israel, but all of the earth and rule forever. After Jacob finished blessing his sons, he drew his feet into his bed, lied down and breathed his last. I like the way that the Old Testament words it. He was gathered to his people. They take and they bury him in the land of Canaan. Joseph will eventually die as well, and he gives instructions when you leave this land, you carry my bones and you bury them in the land of promise. We end the book of Genesis with the special covenant people. They're out of their special land, they're protected by God, but the promises are not fully fulfilled. Little by little, progress is being made in the fulfillment of them, but it will be a long time yet. At the end of the book of Genesis, it sets us up for the book of Exodus. 400 years pass from Genesis to the beginning of Exodus. Four long centuries where the people of Israel are down in this land and we will learn they are multiplying. The the book of beginnings has just told you the beginning of the story. Friends, as we walk through the book of Genesis... One of the things we said at the beginning is by the time you end, you have encountered every major doctrine of the Bible. You have met the one true and living God. You have seen his character. You've seen the beginning of creation, the beginning of mankind, the beginning of marriage, the beginning of sin. But God has also shown you what the rest of the story of the Bible, what the rest of history is about. You have seen the beginning of God's plan, Of redemption. Friends, if you understand the book of Genesis rightly, then you understand the storyline of the whole Bible. If you understand what happens here, you understand what God is doing through the rest of history and all that He is doing. The glorious God is displaying His glory by saving a people to Himself through His Son. And the shadows and the pointers are there all through this beautiful book. There is a seed promised in Genesis 3 who will crush the head of the serpent. There is a place of refuge and salvation from the wrath of God like at the flood. There is a seed of Abraham who will bless every family on the earth. There is a message from God calling you to flee the city of destruction like it's Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a greater Isaac who will climb that very same mountain with wood on his back and there on the Mount of the Lord a sacrifice will be provided. There is a greater Bethel, a greater meeting place between heaven and earth. There is a greater Israel who will wrestle with God and not let go until the people are blessed. There is a way that you can meet God face to face like at Penuel. There is a greater Joseph who would be betrayed by his brothers, sold off to enemies, but through his suffering would bring about the salvation of all of the people of God. And like Joseph, out of the depths of the earth, he would rise and rule his people. And there is one who will come in the line of Judah, a lion, a lion who will rule over his brothers, but not just his brothers. The ends of the earth will bow their knee to him And call him Lord. Jesus is the hero of Genesis. And the plan of God's redemption centers in his work. The plan that we see begin to unfold in the book of Genesis. And friends, this plan of redemption, the story can be yours. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from your sins. Be made sons and daughters of Abraham be brought into the covenant people and be made right with God. Trust in Christ. Let's bow and we'll close. I great God in heaven, God, we're, we're, we stand amazed at the depth, the brilliance, the beauty and the complexity of your word. Father, we realize we've not even scratched the surface of how much is there. God, we praise you and we worship you. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for the plan of redemption that you devised in love. Thank you for drawing us to yourself. And God, I pray for any in the room that has not yet responded to you, not yet come to you in faith. God, I pray that you will pursue them and draw them just like you did Abraham, just like you did Isaac and Jacob. Father, bring salvation. Our God, we love you and we thank you. We pray these things through the name of Christ. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed Pastor Josh LaGrange's sermon titled, God's Blessing to and Through a Special People. Tune in again next week as we begin in the book of Exodus. True Vine Baptist Church also invites you to like our Facebook page or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.